thank you guys. If you know me, uh, prayer and worship just makes me cry. So I'm sorry, that was just a, a good 30 minute cry with me and the Lord. So uh, I'll, I'll clean it up here in just a minute. Man, you don't realize how special this really is. I was thinking about sitting on the front row with a lot of my friends. Uh, I've been, this is my 15th year and, um, in Waco and I was a college student. And yeah, I mean, this was just not happening at all. You are walking into something that is really, really special and really unique even to this place. And so even now, could we just sort of settle our hearts one more time as we open the scriptures? And if you would just maybe put a hand or two, both hands just over your heart and just say to the Lord, my heart is open to you. Let's just say it out loud. My heart is open. My heart is open. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 14 tonight. Matthew 14 is the first, Matthew is in the first book of the New Testament. So if you're new to your Bible, that is totally okay. You are welcome here tonight. You go about three quarters of the way into your Bible, you're gonna find the New Testament. And the first book in the New Testament is the book of Matthew. We're gonna be in chapter 14. And I want you, as you're turning there, to get the word supernatural in your mind. Supernatural. In fact, the title of tonight's message is supernatural attention, supernatural attention. The definition of, of supernatural, one of the definitions will be on the screen as well. If you're taking notes, there might be some things, there will definitely be some things on the screen tonight. Here's what it says, the definition is, an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. An order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. So it's both what is seen with our eyes but also what is observable scientifically. So it's, it's what we see, but it's also what we can observe. For instance, sometimes you can't see something because it's so small, but it's certainly still there. Or something is so far away, even it could be massive, like bigger than anything that we've ever experienced. Anything in our solar system, it could be bigger than that, but it's so far away, we can't see it. So the things that we see, the things that we observe, it's beyond that. And I wanna say, it's all too easy tonight for us here in Waco to be lulled to sleep by the natural going on around us. Not the supernatural, that's the word I want you to focus on, but the opposite of that is the natural. And it's all too easy just to be, to be lulled to sleep by what can be seen. The people, the places, the opportunities, what makes sense, quote unquote. Or even the, the things that only can be observed, like feelings or fears or insecurities or strengths or confidence. Oftentimes we're just so consumed and we're lulled to sleep by what's happening in the natural. But when I look to the Bible, from cover to cover, I see a supernatural God. Remember, beyond what is seen, beyond what is observable. In the Bible, I see this supernatural God doing amazing things around people, in people, through people. Old Testament, New Testament, you'll find it there. In fact, you might even say that, that the primary reason for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was to turn you and me into a resting place for the supernatural God. When we were separated, when we, when we had the fall, we had sin, and we were separated, that Jesus came to transform, to bring us back into this channel, which the supernatural resides in and flows through. And so to miss this message of, of the supernatural in the Bible, I believe, is to shield your eyes. 
It's to turn away from what's obviously there. It's to put your fingers in your ears like my little toddler's doing and, and close it off when they don't wanna hear what dad has to say or what mom has to say. The Bible is a story about supernatural things happening. Don't get sidetracked. What only can be seen or what can only be observed. But also, it's not just what's in your Bible. I want you to know that these six churches that are here tonight, all of them believe this. And you know why I know that is because just a few days ago, I went on all of the websites of these six churches and I went to the about us section, the statement of beliefs, and look at what I found. And here's what I think we should, I'm going alphabetically, okay? So we're gonna go in alphabetical order here. And I think that all of us should just clap every time we finish one of these sentences, okay? Just to kind of wake us up and get us in this moment. Here's what Antioch said. We believe in the Holy Spirit, his present ministry, his indwelling, his empowering, his impartation of the gifts for today, his transforming power in the lives of all believers. How about that? That's amazing. Thank you, Antioch. Columbus Avenue, the Holy Spirit enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, in evangelism, and in service. Let's hear that for Columbus Avenue. Thank you. First Woodway. The Holy Spirit provides Christians with the power for living, understanding of spiritual truth, guidance in doing what is right. The Christian seeks to live under his control. Yes. Thank you, First Woodrow. Grace Waco, we believe that God is sovereign in the bestowing of spiritual gifts. It's the believer's responsibility to attempt to develop their sovereignly given spiritual gifts. We believe the Holy Spirit, here we go, is the supernatural agent in regeneration, indwelling, and sealing them unto the day of redemption. Come on, Grace, Waco. <laughs> Harris Creek, the Holy Spirit gives each believer supernatural abilities and gifts to help believers accomplish his purpose through them in the church and in the world. Thank you, Harris Creek. And finally, Highland, the Holy Spirit indwells every believer with gifts for the upbuilding and edification of the body. His power and control are appropriated by faith, making it possible for the believer to lead a life of Christ-like character to bear fruit to the glory of the Father. Thank you, Highland. And for the record, I think Highlands is the worst of all of those, so I'm glad we went last. There's so much richness. If you have never been to your church's website just to see what they believe theologically, I mean, that took no time and it was so encouraging to us. So in light of all of that, the Bible emphasizes the supernatural. Your churches believe in the supernatural enough to put it on their website and hopefully that's updated because if that's changed, you can email me later, okay? Or I guess you can email your communications director at your church if that's changed. But at least we see it on the website. These churches believe in the supernatural. And so if the Bible and these churches believe it, then why are so many of us neglecting the supernatural? Why won't we find an emphasis on the supernatural at our university? Why don't we teach about it? Why don't we talk about it? I'm from one of the Baptist churches here in the room, and sometimes we can be a little spooked by it. And I get it. I was actually raised in a church up in Allen, Texas, First Baptist Church Allen. I love First Baptist Church Allen. It taught me so many things. But it was a Holy Spirit safe church, right? We didn't talk too much about it, about the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk about the supernatural. I was a pastor's kid. I was a religion major at Baylor. I was doing all those things. I was surrounded by the natural of the church, of ministry, of what could be seen. But I was completely missing the supernatural of God in my life. 
And so we should all be warned and reminded tonight. Do not become lulled to sleep by the natural and miss the supernatural of God. Let's read our passage, Matthew chapter 14. We're gonna start in verse 22. This is the story, spoiler alert, of Peter and Jesus walking on water. And I want you to imagine, especially if you've been around this passage before, if you've been around church before, I want you to set aside some of your thoughts on this passage, the the familiarity you have with it, and I want you to imagine what it would be like to hear this for the first time. Lord, would there be somebody in the room tonight who's hearing this story for the first time? And would all of us have a heart and ears like that person? Chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they, both of them, climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him. Truly, you are the son of God. There are many ways to preach this passage. There are many applications. And oftentimes when we see this passage, we view it from the lens of this. Peter was distracted and he took his eyes off Jesus. I wanna tell you, that's a good sermon. That's an important sermon. That that might be exactly what you need to hear tonight. To keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted by the things that are going on next to you. And and that's a part of this sermon tonight. But I want us to see it in an even deeper way, in a fresher way. Because there's something so critical and so applicable, I believe, for us in this story. See, it wasn't as simple as just Peter took his eyes off Jesus, got distracted by the wind, and then started to sink. Because if you notice, the Lord showed me this fresh, as I was preparing for this, that Peter took his eyes off Jesus, yes, but then instantly his eyes went back to Jesus. They didn't stay off of Jesus. Instantly, his attention is still on Jesus. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. And so what happened is not that his attention was fully lost in Jesus, but that his attention was on the wrong thing about Jesus. See, all of a sudden, Jesus, he went from being supernaturally empowering Peter, and that's what had Peter's attention So now it was just, I need a savior. I need you to help me. I need you to show me. How does Jesus have your attention? Is it only in the natural? Does Jesus only have your attention like a lifeguard when things are really struggling, like a life raft? When I'm really hurting, when it's a test week, when when things are going hard, when when the relationship's struggling, when, when I'm lonely, When finances aren't there, he's my lifeguard. In the natural, he has my attention, and that's okay. You should, Jesus should have your attention there. Maybe he has your attention only when you need a savior in death, which, by the way, I think is sort of a hybrid. 
There is a supernatural aspect of what happens to us after we die, but primarily our fear on this side of it is in the natural sense. When I die, the natural ends, and that's what the fear is about. And so we look to Jesus as a savior in that natural sense, and rightly so. If you have not put your faith and hope in Jesus to, to save you from death and to graduate you into heaven for all eternity, then that is an important thing for you to do tonight. But I would bet a lot of you have done that in this room. The question for us is, is, is he the one, do, does he have our attention in such a way that is supernatural, where he empowers us to do miraculous things like Peter was doing at first when he stepped out on the boat and he started to walk. And so the question that'll be on the screen, does Jesus have your supernatural attention or just your natural attention? Does he have your supernatural attention or just your natural attention? About four years ago, I preached here at Antioch. It was right before COVID, like literally the week before COVID. And we were preaching out of John 14 together we were opening the scriptures, and it's the part where Jesus tells his disciples, you will do the works I've been doing, and then he says something even crazier, which, by the way, stop. That's already crazy for Jesus to say, you're gonna do the stuff I've been doing. And then he says this, and you will do even greater things than me. Walking on water, feeding 5,000 people, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. You're gonna do those things, and you're gonna do greater things than me. So how then? How, how can that be true? How can it be true that the supernatural, we can partake in a supernatural thing that's unseen and not observable, and that this is the heart of the Bible, and this is a belief of our churches, and we see this happening. How does it happen? And so I want you to look back to Matthew 14, if you have your Bible open. It's not going to be on the screens right now, but if you see what was happening before this, I think we should look at some of the things that were happening before this supernatural event happened. What preceded the supernatural in this story in Matthew 14? The first thing is that there was supernatural intimacy in verse 23. If you look back at verse 23, we actually read that verse. After Jesus had dismissed them, he went on a mountainside by himself to pray. So there was a supernatural intimacy there. The second thing, if you look up at the very beginning of the chapter, chapter 14, verse 1, it shows that John the Baptist was murdered. John the Baptist is his cousin, and then look with me to verse 13. When Jesus had heard what had happened, meaning to John, that he was murdered, his cousin, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So he, before the supernatural happened, he was praying in verse 23. And then before that, he was grieving. He was heavy. And then in between those two stories is the feeding of the 4,000. And so the third thing is, is that there's a ministry output that's been at a maximum. Even in his grief, coming out of the news of his cousin being murdered, he instantly has to minister out of that. And he feeds 4,000 people, he has compassion on them. And all of this is swirling in the story of Matthew 14 before we even get to this scene on the lake. And it's just a reminder for us a few things, two things I see here. And the first thing is gonna be on the screen. Supernatural power from God is always accompanied and preceded by supernatural intimacy with God. Always. Preceded by and accompanied by both. These things happen now. Now, God might touch your life in a supernatural way out of nowhere, just like coming out of nowhere, but to continue to see that in my life as a believer, it's preceded by supernatural intimacy and it's accompanied by it again and again, rhythmically. Jesus modeled this for us. And you might say, you know, how can I see the supernatural power of God increase in my life? And here's what you do. You increase the supernatural intimacy with God in your life. It's as elementary and as simple as two plus two equals four. 
It's that simple. Supernatural intimacy with God is so critical, and I want you to know it's primarily found in the secret place where nobody sees it. It's wonderful to do this. It's important to do this. We should do this. But there must be that relationship and that connection to that supernatural God, to the supernatural scriptures that then starts to connect in a place where only you and God see it, the secret place, the hours, plural, hours of prayer that that you can devote to God where no one else sees. You know, most of, of you spend probably 12 to 18 hours a week in class. That's in class, assuming you aren't skipping too often. Most of you probably spend that again in homework. So maybe about 30 to 36 hours a week are spent just on school. Some of you, you can tell I'm not one of these people, dedicate 10 hours a week to your physical body, okay? You work out 10 hours a week. And you say, that's way too high, Drew. But you know what? If you work out one or two hours a day, maybe you're a long runner, or maybe you're just one of those people that's like, you know, uh, 75 hard or whatever else, like that kind of stuff, right? It's like 10 hours a week. Praise God for you. You know, I bless you in there. Go, go have fun. Do those things, okay? 20 to 30 hours a week, part-time jobs. How many hours a week do you give to your sorority, your fraternity, your organization? Can we not dedicate seven hours a week to praying in secret? One hour a day. We work out more than that. We go to class double that. Can we not dedicate seven hours a week, one hour a day, to praying in secret. Two plus two equals four. That always happens. Supernatural intimacy with God increases the supernatural outpouring and power of God. That's always happening. Here's something that often happens. I just wanna hit on briefly. We just saw it already. Supernatural power shows up in your life often when we were at a low point of grief, just like Jesus was, the murder of his cousin, John. Or the heaviness that comes in a season like that where the ministry output is at a maximum or both. Those two things that we see in Matthew 14, they don't always precede the supernatural outpouring, but don't disqualify yourself. Don't discredit this season. Don't discredit this night just because it's been the hardest, heaviest, saddest, loneliest season of your life or just the most you know, spiritually exhausted you've ever been. You're pouring out and you're doing and you're serving and you're just like at empty. And you know, I just wanna say to all of us tonight that being on emotional empty or being on spiritual empty is a great place for God to work through you. Don't disqualify this moment, even if, it, even if that's you. And so if that's what precedes the supernatural, so then what then happens? What happens when it happens? And let's read what happened to them on that boat again. Pick it back up where we, we already read this, but I wanna see it again, verse 25. Chapter 14, verse 25. What happens when it happens? So shortly before dawn, verse 25, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down off the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Here's something that I want you to recognize, that supernatural outpouring will produce fear for many, and courage for a few. Fear for many and courage for a few. There's two things that I want us to see and be reminded of as we think about what happens when it happens. That's really the question we're answering here. The first thing is that the supernatural is frightening at first. 
the instant that they see Jesus walking, they're, they're afraid. They cry out in fear. And I wanna show you some wrong, but I think typical responses to the supernatural. These are typical, but they're wrong. The first thing that I listed, and it should be on the screen, is, is fear, like terror. And the second thing is fear, like shame. What will someone else think of me? You know, when we were praying at six o'clock, there were about 30, 40 people, students, praying, and, and there was a real sense of a word from the Lord that there are people here tonight who, are, who have fear controlling them, a fear of, of what other people will think if I really step into this thing that God's drawing me towards, if I really start to be that radical about my faith. The third thing is discrediting. Oh, other possibilities. I saw this thing happen, but other possibilities. It definitely was not that. It definitely was not the supernatural. Something else happened. And then the fourth and final thing is ignorance. Like, I just, I don't have a space for that. I don't have a grid for that. So I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm not for it. I just, I don't have a space for it. These are four things that I think are wrong, but typical responses to the supernatural. I want to bring two testimonies to you tonight. This past February, February 2023, I was in a season of deep, secret prayer. And it was really just special with God. Time with God was rich. I was really just feeling convicted and I was shedding sin and I was just really close to the Lord. And I've been praying some really specific things and I was driving in my car right next to Baylor University. I was by myself. It was at the intersection of Bagby and 8th Street, that four-way stop right there, off, right next to the center in the parking lot. And I was at that spot and I had a radical, supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit alone in my car, completely alone. It just happened in an instant. I would, the reason I remember I was in the car and where I was is because I was driving like you're supposed to do 10 and 2 or whatever it is they told you all now, like 9 and 3 or whatever it is, but it's 10 and 2 for us old people. And the, the hair, I watched the hair on my arms just go straight up and the goosebumps just crawl up my arms. And I could take you right to that spot. It was a radical, supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. But you know what my first feelings were? They were fear of what had just happened. Was this God or was this the devil? Was this me or was this God? There was shame. What will my wife think? If I tell my small group, what would they think? What if I tell my pastors? There was ignorance. Oh, that was all wrong. I've never experienced God in that way. It can't be right. And so I just shut it down. But as I sought the Lord's wisdom as I looked to the scriptures, as I asked trusted elders and saints of the faith who had been living decades and decades longer than me, I was able to cast off those initial feelings and step into this new supernatural experience and relationship with God. And everything in the natural, I'm telling you, here's my testimony, everything in the natural said foolish, fear, shame, silly. But everywhere I looked in the Bible and in the church leaders that I trust, they said, yes, this is good. This is God. Step with God in this. My first response was fear, but there was, there was so much help from the word and from my friends. The second testimony comes just a month later in March of this last year, FM 72. Some of you were there. How many of you were at FM 72 this last March? Anybody? All right, let's go. Well, you're, uh, hopefully gonna, we're gonna experience this in a, in a fresh way this upcoming March again. And uh, in March, it was the first night of FM 72, which is just a big revival gathering that happens. And, and many of you were there, so you remember this night. There was a student there that we didn't know was there. Uh, his name was Noah. And that night, he was healed supernaturally from a knee injury. He walked in on crutches and with a brace with, with torn ligaments in his knee. And, and, and that night, he was healed supernaturally. I remember I was leading worship that night. 
And I was kind of right here, and, and I see a lot of commotion happening over here during the song that I was singing. And I was just kind of not sure what was going on, and, but, but I saw something was happening, and we're kind of just moving on. And then later, I think maybe next, Mateo came up, and, and he was kind of leading a moment. He was leading a prayer time or something, and, and someone screamed out, he just got healed. And it was like, I was like standing behind, and I was like, oh boy, what, what just happened? What did he just say? Right? And Mateo's just crushing it. He's just like, man, this is awesome. He's just like, you know, he's pointing everybody to Jesus. You know, later on, they literally throw the crutch on stage, you know, kind of a thing. It was crazy. But you know what my first thought was? Up there on the stage, you know, one of the leaders, one of the people that, that should be gassing this up. Man, my first thought was, I'm afraid. I'm discounting, I'm discrediting. There must be another explanation. Let's move past it and we'll figure it out later. And I'm so thankful to God that he didn't allow that because <laughs> we saw something really special happen that night. As Noah was healed so supernaturally that his friend Connor, who was there with him, came with him and Connor knew how injured Noah was. And so when he saw it happen, he instantly gave his life to the Lord. He said, I, whatever just happened, I gotta follow that God. And then that night, later that night, someone else started to experience healing. And then the next day, these things started to happen. And it's something that you'll see in the scriptures. The supernatural healing of the physical is always just a vehicle to connect us to the supernatural healing we need in our hearts. And that's what was happening. It was weird. It was, it was something that was causing fear and confusion and discrediting. But as we were able to embrace it, it wasn't about the healing of the physical anymore. It was about that supernatural internal healing that started to spread out in Connor and in other, other people. People were saved. People were forgiving those who had hurt them. People were being baptized. People were stepping into a daily relationship of deep Holy Spirit prayer in a way they'd never experienced before. And I recognize for many of you tonight, you're skeptical of these things I'm talking about. I recognize that. I understand. I was that student. I was that person. And that's okay. Remember this story that Jesus' own disciples were doubting. And even the lead disciple who took that step ended up being said, Jesus said to him, why do you doubt? All of them, all of them were doubting. But you know what's special? Each one of those doubters would stick with Jesus over these years. And even in their doubt, just a couple of years later, many of them were full of a supernatural power that was going to turn the entire world upside down. These doubters who were afraid stuck with Jesus, and they stuck with Jesus. And so I just beg you tonight, stick with Jesus even if you're skeptical, even if you're doubting some of these things, if you're afraid, just keep watching, keep testing, keep asking. You'll see his power more and more in you and through you. Tim Keller has a quote that I think is really important for us to consider tonight. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts. It is no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them. Many of us inherited beliefs about the Holy Spirit, about the supernatural, about church. And some of that is really helpful. And some of that needs to be wrestled with. Some of it needs to be left behind or reconsidered. But we don't just stick with Jesus just watching. We also do what Peter did and we step with Jesus. It's not just sticking with Jesus, it's stepping with Jesus to step off this boat into the supernatural. And so that first thing was... Uh, the supernatural is frightening at first. The second thing is this. Radical courage comes from focused listening. Think about Peter's perspective with me. Think about how loud this moment must have been in a physical sense. The waves are just crashing against the boat. 
and the wind is howling so loud and all the other disciples are screaming, I'm afraid, help me, is this a ghost? Whatever they say in Scooby-Doo and in these like scary movies, right? 11, 12, I don't know, maybe there were more people in this boat screaming out in fear while the wind is howling and the waves are crashing and all of this is swirling around, but Peter pushed all the noise aside, all the distraction, and he was focused to hear Jesus' voice. And you know what's interesting as I was thinking about this, it doesn't show us or say anything about Peter hushing his friends. Hey, shh, be quiet, be quiet. No, he doesn't say that. It also doesn't say that Jesus yelled. Maybe he did yell. But also, maybe there was a supernatural ability to speak to Peter in that moment. He was already walking on water. So I just go ahead and say, if we believe he can walk on water, he can probably sort of throw his voice a little bit, right? And somehow, in all the noise and all the chaos, there was a focused listening happening. And this is what Peter heard. Before he was sinking, this is what he heard first. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It's so quiet right now. But imagine if we were all screaming and yelling and waves were crashing and was howling and you just hear this, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. You would just be like, I'm going. Boop, right there, right? I didn't step. That would have been real courage. Um, <clears throat> if we could just hear that over and over again, how much courage would we have? How bold could we become by God's power? Take Courage, it's Jesus. Don't be afraid. Focused listening. Take courage, it's Jesus. Don't be afraid. Again, it brings us back to two plus two equals four. Supernatural intimacy with God, listening, focusing, leads to supernatural power from God. Courage comes from listening and focusing. And here's the reality. I think many of you in this house are saved. Many of you have given your life to Jesus Christ. You have confessed your sins. You have believed upon in your heart. You have, you have received the Holy Spirit on the day of salvation. These things have happened in your life, but there's still a power missing. And, and one of my mentors told me this illustration recently that it just really changed the way that I've thought about this. And, and it's this story. I don't think it's a real story, but it's a good illustration of a man who was, whose job was cutting down trees and he's cutting down trees with an ax. And you can imagine, if you're cutting down all these trees, how inefficient that is, how tiring that really is just to hit that tree with that ax. And one of his friends told him, hey, have you considered that they have these things called chainsaws that you could go buy? So he says, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to my hardware store, I'm gonna check this out. So he goes there, and he goes and he buys a chainsaw, and, and, and the guy who sold him the chainsaw said, yeah, you should be able to cut 10, 20 times more trees in the same amount of time. Like, you, you should be 10 or 20X if you use this tool. Man, this guy was so excited. And so he had this new tool, he had this new thing that was gonna help him in his life, and he went back and he started to work, and then the next day he came back to the store and he said, you need, you need to give me my money back because you lied to me. He said, how could I have lied to you? He said, well, I don't know, but I didn't cut any more trees than I did yesterday. And he said, well, show me how you're using it. He said, well, I take the, the chainsaw and I just go like this and I just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. He says, well, bro, you're using it wrong. He said, watch this. And then all of a sudden, the power was unlocked. And man, that guy, he had 20, 30, 40 times the power. He had been holding all the power, but he hadn't been engaging the power. And this is what I think is happening for many of us in Waco, for many people in the Bible Belt, for many saved people, is that we're holding everything we need. 
to have a power that's 10X, 40X, 100X, 1,000X, what we could ever do on our own, a supernatural power, but we are not engaging that power. We're not ripping that cord. We're not experiencing that efficiency and that power through the Holy Spirit. And you can do that tonight. And so in closing, I just feel prompted to give you some warnings from scripture. Three warnings quickly. This is gonna be how we finish tonight. And honestly, as I was just thinking about this, the Lord kept saying to me over and over again, when you preach this part, preach it on your knees. So I'm just gonna do that. The three warnings will be on the screen. The first warning comes, all of these are from scripture. They're not Drew's warnings. Matthew 22, Jesus is just, I don't know, he's dunking on the religious leaders like he does, you know, just running laps on them. They're in some big argument, some big fight. It's a heated discussion. In Matthew 22, look what Jesus says. He says, your mistake, and when I read that last month, I just stopped right there. Your mistake. And I just thought, Lord, whatever's next, I wanna listen. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Do you know the scriptures? Do you know the power of God? And then 2 Timothy chapter three, this is a story, or not a story, it's a letter and it's talking about the end times and it's giving us some, telling us some, some things that are gonna be happening in the end times. It says things like this, in the end times there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will do these things. They'll be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be proud and abusive. They'll be unholy. They'll be without love. They'll be unforgiving. There'll be no self-control. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than God. And here's our second warning. In those last days, they will be having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness. That might define our whole region a lot of our schools, a lot of our friend groups, but denying its power. I don't think it's a stretch to assume that. In one of the biggest religious schools in the world, in the Bible Belt, with six churches coming together, there are some church and religious people here tonight who these warnings apply to. A form of godliness, but denying its power. And you're religious, but, but you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. The third and final warning comes just two chapters before in Matthew chapter 12. And if your Bible's still open, just turn to Matthew chapter 12 really quick. Verse 31, Matthew 12, verse 31. Should be one page over. The third warning is an unforgivable sin. And that is something to, be, to, to stop at again. That Jesus would call something unforgivable is radical and unlike anything else. And he says, it's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. Verse 31, chapter 12. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, every kind. If you have sin in your life, it can be forgiven tonight in Jesus' name, by the blood of Jesus. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And why is that the unforgivable sin for us? It's because it's the deliberate refusal. Listen, because this is so critical. It's the deliberate refusal to acknowledge God's power in Christ. 
through the Holy Spirit. Deliberate refusal. It indicates a deliberate hardness of heart. Jesus said they can't be forgiven, not because their sin is worse than anyone's, but because they never asked for forgiveness. So whoever rejects these promptings of the Holy Spirit removes themselves from the only force that could lead them to repentance, to restoration, to power. So many of you have Jesus as your savior. But have you made Jesus the supernatural power in your life? Jesus' salvation is a wonderful power. I don't want you to miss that tonight. If you do not have salvation power in Jesus' name, please change that tonight. It is accessible to you. The Holy Spirit is drawing you even now to respond to the salvation of Jesus. Some of you in this room, that is true. But also, there's, a, there's another attention that we need to give, which is that supernatural attention to Jesus. says, I want the Holy Spirit maximum. I don't want anything less. I don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I want a filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. And not just when we're all singing the songs, but when I'm in the secret place with God. And hear me, it's okay for Jesus to be your life raft. I need Jesus to be my life raft. I could spend hours up here telling you all the times that I needed Jesus to rescue me from something naturally. And it's okay for Jesus to be your helper, your fixer. I want you to think about all the times Jesus did that in the gospel. It's okay, Jesus helped people, he healed people, he fixed things in the natural. But it was so much more special when the disciples embraced that power for themselves and they healed and they did and they cast out and they were filled with this power. The disciples in the book of Acts, they said that someone was healed by being in the shadow of one of the disciples. Somebody else was healed because they touched the snotty handkerchief of one of the disciples. This is the Holy Spirit power. The same works of Jesus and better works of Jesus. And and Jesus is really clear about his power. This is the last thing you'll see on the screen tonight. Through you is greater than for you. He wants that for me. He wants that for you. He wants that for these six churches. And I just love how this story ends. The last two verses, when Peter and Jesus climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And all of those doubts and fears and loud noises and distractions and crazy scenes that were going on and grief and heaviness and ministry and all of that, all of that doubt, a worship service broke out right there on that boat. And many of these doubters have become filled supernatural workers for God. And that can be you tonight. How does Jesus have your attention? Is it only in the natural? Or does he have your supernatural attention? Let's pray. Jesus, we started tonight's message just saying to you, my heart is open. Thirty-something minutes later, I want to say it to you again. My heart is open. Let no one be deceived tonight. Any sin can be forgiven in this house. And there's a supernatural power for us that can hold our attention 
and things start happening through us and in us when we just yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, when we fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. We don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't quench the Holy Spirit. We don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, but we're filled. So fill this house tonight. Fill my heart tonight. Fill hearts tonight. Fill these churches tonight with the supernatural attention and power and intimacy that can be found. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna move into a song, a couple of songs of, of response here and then we're gonna wrap up the evening. And I just wanna tell you, I don't know which church you come from, I don't know what you're used to and that's okay. Uh, we're going to open these altars right now to just respond. And I realize somebody's at the top tonight, but tonight when we were praying, a big reason why I was crying before this started because I remember when I was a sophomore at Baylor about 14 years ago, I was on the back row of an Antioch worship service, the back top row at the top of the Ferrell Center because they were having worship in the Ferrell Center. And God called me to come all the way down those stairs and to come to the front and to pray with somebody. And so that might be you tonight. You might be on the front row, on the back row, in the middle, but you need to come forward. And, and if you're coming to this section right in front of me and to my right and to my left, like this is just gonna be space to pray. Come together alone and just put it before the Lord. Lord, I confess that I haven't been filling myself with the Holy Spirit. I've been quenching the Spirit. I've been, you know, I've just been consumed by the natural and just bringing that before the Lord with your friends on your own, whatever it is, you can do that tonight. But if you need to talk to somebody tonight for salvation, or you have questions about the Holy Spirit, or you need to pray for something really specific, I wanna point you to a couple of different spaces. You can come right over here by this exit sign to my far right and your left, and the same one, there's an exit sign over here, these two exit signs, there will be ministry leaders on both sides, and you can come and you can pray for any of those things. Come to the front, respond, and say, Jesus, you have my supernatural attention. Crawl over people tonight, come down the stairs tonight. Let's respond to this, that Jesus, you have our supernatural attention.